Hey friends, welcome back to the Pulpit to Pew podcast in this week's adult Bible study. I'm back from Utah on my trip out west. And I was back in class today feeling a little rusty after getting in at about 1 o'clock last night. But we were able to dive into chapter number 11 and into chapter number 12 and to see this final plague and a plague that would change everything. A new feast or a couple of feasts that the Jews were going to remember because of this moment that we're going to talk about this week. So without further ado, let's jump into this week's Bible studies. We continue our study in the book of Exodus. All right, Exodus 11 is where we're going to be. Exodus chapter 11. From my understanding, did my brother mention anything? Remember I told you two weeks ago, I said, I hope he says something about... Um, and then I was talking about how these Egyptian gods and how... Did Brian mention that, Aaron? All right, you're the brother-in-law. We're checking on that. But each one of these... Well, he only covered the first couple of plagues, he said, and then briefly touched on the others. But um, God was not only revealing himself, but he was, he was really attacking the false gods of the Egyptians as well. And, uh, of course, the true God, our God, comes out on top, which I always like winning, and I love seeing that. But chapter number 11 now, where we pick up, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Now, I, I, I'm the, I love context, and here I am jumping in after a week of not teaching, and so I, don't, I love to build off of what I've been teaching. And having a week off and not knowing exactly what Brian said, but we're coming off the plague of darkness. So during that time, if I back up to chapter number 10 for just a second, Pharaoh's heart is hardened again in verse 27, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart and he would not let him go. And Pharaoh said unto him, get thee from me, take heed to thyself, see my face no more. For in that day thou seest my face, thou shalt die. So Pharaoh's pretty tough here. He's making his statement. He's the most powerful man right now. He's making this statement to Moses, but Moses says back to him, verse 29, and Moses said, thou hast spoken well. I will see thy face again no more. After this plague of darkness, they're still there. He still, he has said they can go and serve their gods, but he's he reneged on that again. He's not going to allow them. And so now it's the final plague. I was thinking about this as I was just reading through it again a little bit this week and then as listening to it this morning uh, on the way here. I was thinking about we know because we've been raised in church and we've been taught this, we know that we call it the ten plagues. We know the tenth one's coming we're like, oh, this is the final one. It's not like Pharaoh's sitting down there saying, well, one more and then I can get through this. All right, They didn't know. We're looking at it thousands of years later. This is nine of these plagues have been going on. They, these people have un, been under a lot of distress. I mean, they're like, what is going on here? Is this ever going to end? They didn't know necessarily until it was said this is going to be the last one. They're just thinking, how long is this going to happen? I don't think this just happened necessarily in 10 specific days, like boom, 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 it's all over. This has been going on and it's been wearing on this people. And so now we come to chapter 11. It says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Yet will I bring one plague more unto Pharaoh and upon Egypt. Afterwards he will let you go hence. When he shall let you go, he shall surely thrust you out hence altogether. In verse 2 he says, Speak now to the ears of the people, and let every man borrow of his neighbor, and let every woman of her neighbor jewels of silver and jewels of gold. The Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. Moreover, the man Moses was very great in the land of Egypt, in the sight of Pharaoh's servants, and in the sight of of the people. So the Israel in the sight of the Egyptians at this point had had favor. 
And he says to go and borrow. It's not like this word borrow is a little bit different. It's not like he's actually going to go borrow it and then they're going to give it back when they leave. It's got the idea of to take maybe what you have earned because they've been working for them or take what they've been offered. But this really is a fulfillment in Genesis. And if I'd had more time to study, I'd have reminded you of this exactly where. But if in Genesis when when God said that they're going to come out, but they're not they're going to come out in, and I'm paraphrasing now, in riches. They're going to have material. They're going to come out of Egypt with material. So this is a fulfillment of that promise and here they are they're coming out they had nothing they've been slaves for how is that going to work well god gave them favor with these egyptians and so now in favor of these egyptians they are going to them they're getting these things that are going to prepare them for their journey from the egyptians and they're getting ready to go but what what's going to happen this this what's going to happen today what we're going to talk about is something is i'll say in a second is going to be referenced throughout the entire bible sometimes i'll sit in a service in throughout my life and I've hear people preaching and sometimes in they'll say well this is a picture of and I'm like okay and there are a lot of good metaphors in the Bible a lot of good pictures in the Bible but I've heard some when I sat in the service and I'm like I don't know we may be stretching that a little bit that that's a picture of something we may be or you know people can get kind of weird with all of that but the Passover and talked about throughout the entire Bible as a picture of Jesus Christ that we're talking about there's no fudging that it is absolutely clear and i'll show you some verses of that here in just a little bit but watch what moses said watch what god says to moses this is going to be the final plague in verse 4 he sets it up and he says and moses said thus saith the lord that's when you know it's serious about midnight will i go into the midst of egypt i want to just say this even though it's not in the lesson because it reminds me of someone i didn't pray for we didn't mention at the beginning this is someone you may not have heard of Brother Gilbert has, many of you may not have, some of you may have read his book, but R.B. Olette, who has had a major uh, influence in my life over the years, and he had surgery this, uh, f- this week to remove his vocal box. So we don't know coming out of this, I mean, I don't know all the details of that, but I'm assuming you're not going to be able to talk or talk very well. He's preached his, for years he's preached, um, he's written books and things like that. But the reason I was thinking of that, I've been praying for him this week as I was on vacation, but he wrote a book, and one of them, and I don't remember the name of the book, but one of them talked about this, because we talked about the death angel that flew over, and he says, no, it was God himself. Because here he says, he says, I will go into the midst of Egypt, and he, he talked about that in one of his books. But anyways, he says in verse 5, And all the firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sitteth upon the throne, even unto the firstborn of the maidservant that is behind the mill, and all the firstborn of the beast he says at midnight in this final plague now we've seen what frogs we've seen darkness we've seen lice we've seen boil we've seen all kinds of stuff but this one is going to impact them in a major way because he says at midnight the death of all the egyptian firstborn is going to happen now you who's the firstborn in here raise your hand i'm a firstborn anybody else a firstborn several of you every one of you if you're the egyptians in that night gone it's going to happen god is going to get their attention and God is going to get Pharaoh's attention with his own firstborn. And he said, they are going to, they're not just going to let you go. He said, they're going to thrust you out at this point after this plague. It's a very serious plague. It causes death of people here. And so he's going to give them some instructions. And he's going to give some very specific instructions to the Israelites that they must follow. And they must follow these instructions or else they would, they would be, they would sense this, they would face the same consequences as these egyptians and so let's skip down to verse chapter 12 and see what these specific instructions are because i think in this lesson 
A lot of times when you sit in church, and maybe some of you are newer to church, some of you even say, you hear talk about the Passover, the unleavened, and you were like, what is going on in there? This is the original. This is the moment. And, and, and God is doing this to remind them of who they were. Throughout the entire Old Testament, you're going to see God reminding Israel, you were in bondage to Egypt. And I told you a few weeks ago when I was teaching, that is a, is a picture of our bondage in sin. And he freed them from Egypt. He's freed them from the bondage they were in to, the, to be free into the land of Canaan. And God has freed us from the bondage of sin through Jesus Christ. We talked about this a few weeks ago. But there's a constant reminder throughout the Old Testament saying, remember you were in bondage. Remember you're in bondage. And when they come out of this, and we're going to get into this next few weeks, they're going to already begin to forget. Because they're going to say in the next few weeks, boy, we wish we were back in Egypt. You wish you were back in bondage? You wish you were back into the, the slavery? You, you wish you were back under that, under the hand of Pharaoh? But they're going to constantly say, we wish we were back. You know what I found in my life? I'm a pretty forgetful Christian myself at times. There's a lot of times, I may not say, I wish I was back lost because I was like 12 years old when I got saved. I've only known church. That's all I've known. So I may not be like, oh, I wish I was back in my part. No, that's different. But there's some times when my heart wanders back into the ways of this world and the ways of Egypt. So we may be mindful of this, but, but these people, as we come to chapter 12, it says, And the Lord spake unto Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you in the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So God's going to, this Passover, this final plague and this Passover, it's going to change their, even their calendar. God said, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, this is going to be so memorable and so impactful, it's going to change your calendar as well. We're going we're, we're gonna to do things different, starting in verse number 2. He says, um, in verse 3, he says, Speak ye unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month, they shall take to them every man a lamb according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for the house. So notice that, what? The tenth day. If you were a Jewish person back in this day, you need to know this, okay? Now we don't have to do this, but remember, he says, The tenth day you're going to take a lamb. Not just any ordinary lamb. You're going to take a lamb. He's going to go on. He said in verse number uh, four, and if the household be too little for the lamb, let him, let him and his neighbor next to his house take it according to the number of the souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count for the lamb. So he's saying if you, if you don't have a big enough household for this lamb to eat all of it, then go and join the next household next to him. Later on, I was told that the Jews and the, they made it like if you don't have ten in your house or. You, if you don't have 20 in your house, so you can go and meet with the next family. They had some different rules on this. But basically, if you were, your family was too small for this, you go join the other family, which I'm going to come back to that in just a second. Some things that I thought about as I was reading through this this week. But he says, so you're going to get this lamb, you, either your family or you may need to join with another family. He says in verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. Very important. Remember, all of this is going to be foreshadowing Jesus Christ coming. He says it needs to be without blemish. A male of the first year, ye shall take it out from the sheep and from the goats, and ye shall keep it up until the fourteenth day of the same month, and the whole assembly. This is something I've been thinking about lately, but notice the word the whole assembly, everybody together, of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening, and they shall take of the blood, and shall strike it on the two side posts, and on the upper doorpost of the household wherein they shall eat it. Let's back up for a second. And just kind of reflect on this. So first he says, it needs to be a lamb without blemish. 
Now, if I can take you back to a study we've done a while back in Malachi. So we're fast-forwarding in history a little bit to the book of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. But in Malachi, some of you may remember, do you remember those priests at that time? Remember what they were doing? They were taking of the lame. They were taking of those that were blind, the sick sheep, whatever. They were just like, hey, let's just take this. It's of no value to us. It's of, of no use to us. Let's just take this and offer it as a sacrifice. Now, that is, that is hundreds of years later, but that's where Israel got to. The, here is when they're laying it out, and he says it needs to be without blemish. This is where he is setting the rules for the Passover and everything. But now, fast forward in Malachi, those priests are just like, hey, give me something that's got a broken leg. We can't use it. It's no value to us. Let's just give that back to God. That's where they had gotten to the place where Israel got to. You got there several times. I'm just giving you one illustration to say this. We're going to look at something that God said was very special. It's a picture of the day that when, when Jesus Christ bore our sin, when we were freed from the bondage of our sin. But how often in our lives, I want you to be thinking through this as we're walking through some technical stuff here in a little bit. How often in our lives can we get to that place where we're saying, hey God, you know, I'm just going to give you whatever I, you know, just, I'm going to give you whatever's left. I'm going to give you the leftovers. I'm going to give you the stuff that doesn't really, the time, if I have time, I'm going to come. If I, we often give God less than the best. I say we, myself included. We often give God less than the best. And God is expecting the best from us. He said, take of the lamb to be without blemish, which is a picture. Remember John the Baptist where Paul said in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, he says, for indeed Christ, our Passover was sacrificed for us in 1 Corinthians 5, 7. That's why I said earlier, this isn't just a, well, it's a metaphor that's loosely, no. Paul said in the New Testament, he says, for Christ, our Passover, he was our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Remember when John the Baptist, what did he say at Jesus' baptism? Do you remember? He said, behold, the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And so this moment in history is foreshadowing what's going to happen when Jesus Christ comes. And so he says, you're going to take of that lamb. On the 10th day, I want you to take of that first ling of the flock, the, the lamb without blemish. Watch it for four days. On the 14th day, then you're going to sacrifice it together. One of the things I noticed as I was reading this week, everything was done together as a family. You're going to be doing this together. You're going to sacrifice it together. You're going to eat this together. And if you, it wasn't just your family, if another one was small, they come over as well. And I, and I was thinking about that as I was reading that this week and reading down through this text on how everything was together as assembly, as a family. I know in some cases we can't do that, but there's something special about worshiping together as a family. Tonight, today, we're going to see a family sing together. Now, I don't think you have to sing together to be spiritual or anything like that. But what I'm saying is it shouldn't be awkward to talk about spiritual things among the family. You know, we can talk Colts all day. And sometimes it's, you ever notice with sometimes with people, you can talk football, you can talk sport. I was sitting in the airport last night at like, what were we were there, like 12 o'clock. Some guy talking Michigan football. I just wanted to <laughs> kick him. You know what I mean? I, I don't care about Michigan football. I, don't, I hate Michigan football. That's all this guy was talking about to his spouse. And I'm just thinking, I just want to get my bag and get out of here. All right? Maybe I was a little irritable. Pretty well, they did. No, I don't want to hear it. All right? You already <laughs> talked about Purdue. You already talked about Purdue. I don't, track test. Thank you. Thank you. 
But he was talking about. But what I found is sometimes it's easy. We can talk about sports, talking things, and then all of a sudden we turn it spiritual. And all of a sudden it gets really awkward. Why? Why? Boy, everything we when he God was emphasizing. I think a lot of things in this passage, but one of those smaller things was he's saying you're doing this together. And when we worship, when we sing, I, you can worship on your own. I think you can worship tomorrow morning. You better get up and worship the Lord. And, and throughout the week, you better worship the Lord. But there's, there's something special about coming together and worshiping God and, and understanding that He is the one who sacrificed for us, that He's the one that redeemed us. And sing together. You say, well, I can't really sing. It doesn't matter. I can't sing hardly at all. I'm going to be leading singing today because Dad said one day, you know how to lead singing. Will you lead singing? I'm like... Sure, why not? I'm going to leave singing. And I ask them, turn my microphone off. And they leave my microphone on. So when you go to YouTube, all you see, all you hear is my bad voice. And one person likes it, Frazier, and he listens to it all the time, his parents say. And he just listens to it, and that's fine. But we're to do this together. And he says, everybody, we're coming together. We're taking the lamb without blemish in the first year. On the 10th day, we're going to choose that lamb. On the 14th day, you're going to sacrifice it. You're going to boil it. You're going to eat all of it. And you're going to do this together. He goes on and says, uh, let's see, where am I? Let's try verse 7. It says, and they shall take of the blood and strike it on the two doorposts. I've read this, but let's read it again. On the two side posts and on the upper doorposts of the houses wherein they shall eat it. They shall eat the flesh in that night, roasted with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs shall they eat it. Very interesting here. Now, what unleavened bread? Why was it unleavened bread? Well, partially because it's just practical. They didn't have time to wait for the, the yeast and everything. They had to get moving. He was going to say somewhere else that you're going to need to have your staff and be ready to go. They didn't really have, it was practical. They didn't have time to let it, I don't, I'm not a baker, okay, but to do all of the proper stuff. So one, it was practicable. Number two, it was going to be a picture, and I said something about some shady pictures in the past, but leaven is a picture of sin throughout the Bible. And so this is also another one of those reminders as it's going to be coming on. But he says it's going to be unleavened bread. And so there's going to be two Passovers. I know I'm speaking fast and a little bit, little bit conjoined. It's the Utah, I'll be in out west, all right? But there's two, two feasts here. There's the Passover, it goes from day 10 to 14. And then you get the Feast of the Unleavened Bread that starts at day 14 and goes, to, and goes to day 21. And so you got two feasts together. And when you read your Old Testament, you read the Bible, you're going to be reading about the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the Feast of the Passover. They, they're occurring really around the same time, but they're two different feasts. And so he said that we're going to, you're going to, you're going to eat of this Unleavened Bread, you're going to take it. And he says in verse 11, And thus shall you eat it with your loins girded, so notice where he talks about be prepared. With your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste in the Lord's Passover. Now, I forgot about one thing I want to mention. He said to eat it with bitter herbs. Now, that sounds terrible to me. And it was supposed to be. Because the eating it with bitter herbs, which was supposed to be done by these, by these Jews throughout this time, was to remind them of the bitter judgment that they were in. You're eating of this Passover reminding you of this coming out and with bitter herbs to remind you of the bitter judgment the bitter living the 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 life that you had in egypt god wanted them to remember that he wanted them to remember why well because like i've already told you because they're going to get out here in a little bit and face some difficulties think we wish we were just right back over there and he's saying to them no when you take of this passover each month i want you to remember the bitterness the, the the judgment that you were under there and how miserable your life was. But boy, Israel struggled with that a lot in their history. 
as you study their history. And so do we so often. So often it's Sunday, we're smiling and we're worshiping God. By Tuesday, we're back in our workplace and we're back sometimes. I'm not saying we, I'm just saying in generalized. We're just back like our old selves. Forgetting the bitter bondage of Satan who doesn't care for us, who doesn't love us. And forgetting all that God has done. So he says to eat it with bitter herbs. And then he told him in verse 11, I want to back up to that. In verse 11, he says, hey, have your, have your shoes on. You be ready to go. He says, for I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and I will smite all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And against the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgment. And then I love this phrase, I am the Lord. Right after saying against these gods, these false gods, small letter G, he says, I am the Lord. I am Jehovah. He says, and the blood shall be to you for a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. You guys, when you guys hear the story, maybe you don't. If you've been here, McBride family came here since I was a little kid. You remember that song? Uh, what's the song called now, Becca? Because I'm standing here in front of everybody, so I forgot. But uh, is the blood still there? Remember that song? If you guys don't, the McBride sang it, I think, the last time they were here. But it, it's a picture of a little a Jewish boy during that time, and he's asking his parents, hey, is that blood still there? Because they would take that blood with hyssop, and they would apply it on the two sides and on that doorpost. And then just take it in for a second. I'm teaching fast today. I'm just kind of rolling through this. But let's just think about that moment years ago this is the final plague you've seen some crazy things but this is it god says you're going to leave you've been under bondage for 430 years god says this is the last one and it's going to affect you if you don't do this and you've already sat down together and you've you've watched this lamb you've sacrificed this lamb that's been with you for four days you've eaten this lamb you've 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 placed the blood on the post and then you got to go to bed and Goshen's a little ways from Egypt, but you could hear the cries in the Egyptians. I mean, just put yourself back there thousands of years. Every firstborn in that Egyptian, of those Egyptians, died. Imagine the wailing. I, I just, um, not to try to comment on it too much, but just thinking about when my son died and how much that affected, how much that affected me. I can't imagine homes all across Egypt with the death of their firstborn, the cries of those people. That day was a surreal day. And all those, those Jewish people, as they looked at that blood, they were thinking, it's that blood that's the reason why that I'm here right now. It's that blood. The Bible says without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. It's the blood of Jesus Christ is the reason why you and I can say that we're a child of God. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. It's nothing that I have done just because I'm the son of a pastor, the grandson of a pastor. That doesn't mean that I get to go to heaven. The only reason I'm going to go through the doors of heaven one day is because the blood of Jesus Christ has been applied to my life. Because at 12 years old, I prayed not too far from here and received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'm not special. No one in this room is special. The only way we are going to heaven is by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's what we are to remember today. That's why when Paul said, Christ, our Passover. He, each one of us were condemned to death. 
unless that blood is applied to our lives. And the Passover of the Old Testament was a picture, was foreshadowing what was going to come, that Jesus Christ was going to have to come to take away our sins. His blood was going to have to be shed, and it was. That's why when John the Baptist, the forerunner, he said, Behold the Lamb of God, He is the final. We're not still doing this today. Why? Because Jesus came and fulfilled. He is the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world. And so, on that day, those Egyptians begin to cry out because it all, he, he, in chapter 12, in the first part that we've just read, is just him laying out the instructions of what's going to happen. And then in verse, as we get to like verse 21, Moses then tells the elders what's going to happen. They take the hyssop and they dip it in verse 22 and they put the blood and they do what they're supposed to be doing. But then in verse 29 it says, And it came to pass that at midnight... The Lord, not, not the death angel, I don't care about that, I just keep thinking about R.B. Alette when he mentioned that, but the Lord smote all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh that sat on his throne unto the firstborn of the captive that was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the cattle. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house, get this, there was not a house where there was not one dead. Can you imagine that scene for a second? Well, they got the message. It's too late. Not a house where there was not one dead. And so Pharaoh now, he called, even his home, he's been affected. And he called for Moses and Aaron by night and said, Rise up and get you forth from among my people, both ye and the children of Israel, and go and serve the Lord as ye have. Also take your flocks and your herds as ye have said, and be gone, and bless me also. And the Egyptians were urgent upon the people that they might send them out of the land in haste. For they said, we will all be dead men. And the people took their dough before it was leavened and, the, and their kneading troughs and being bound up in their, in their clothes upon their shoulders. And the children of Israel did according to the word of Moses. And they borrowed of the Egyptians jewels of silver and jewels of gold and raiment. And the Lord gave the people favor in the sight of the Egyptians so that they lent unto them such things as they were required, and they spoiled the Egyptians. And then, starting in verse 37, they begin to leave. So now this has, has come. We've come full circle in watching this. We've seen Moses as he's, he's, went, he's left, he, as he was raised there in Egypt. We've seen him leave. We've seen him called to go back, and he went back. We've seen his insecurity. We spent a lesson talking about his insecurity, but God has said, I will be with you. This is what I want. I want my people to be free. And he's going to then, now he has used Moses and all Moses' insecurities to get this, to this point where they are now going to leave. Now, it doesn't mean the trouble's over. And you guys have been, some of you have been raised in church, you know where we're going. doesn't mean the trouble's over. And as we get next week into chapter 13 and chapter 14, we're going to see some of the troubles that not only they faced immediately, but we're also going to see the troubles that they faced internally that they're going to be facing throughout this. But one of the things that they did that I wanted to touch on, I think it's in chapter 12 here, so I wanted to touch on it. But it says, as they left, that they, well, a couple things. So let's just read down. Let's read down. I've been reading a little bit, but I want to read down because there are a couple things I want to mention. One of my foreshadow, I told you a little bit about a couple weeks ago, but look at verse 37. And the children of Israel journeyed from Ramses to Succoth, about 600,000 on foot, 
that were men. So about 600,000 men. Many estimate there's about 2 million people total. It's just an estimate. May have been off by one or two people. All right. But it's around 2 million, 600,000 men, it says. But notice this verse 38. And a mixed multitude went up also with them in flocks and herds and very much cattle. Mixed multitude. I mentioned to that to you a few weeks ago. Mixed multitude is going to be a variety. It could, it's probably going to be some of the Egyptians that saw this and were like, all right, we're, we're with them. But this, this mixed multitude is going to cause a lot of problems for Israel as we go ahead, as we, as we continue this study later on. Some of them may have been Israelites that had married Egyptians and shouldn't have. Could have been other foreigners from among this place. But there's going to be a mixed multitude now that are coming alongside with Israel. And I'm saying that now because when we get to it later, we're going to remind you of this point and say, hey, here's where some of the problems came in. But it says later on that they took the bones, and I may, maybe it's going to be later in the next chapter, but I wanted to say it here. They took the bones of Joseph. Now, why is that important? I mean, why does it matter that they took the bones of Joseph? Well, remember, Joseph was the reason they got themselves over to Egypt. And when Joseph died, he said, I want you to bury my bones in Canaan. So here they are, and they're going to take his bones along with them as a reminder of God's fulfillment of the promise that he made to Joseph. So the Passover. The Passover is this beautiful picture in the Old Testament it was a feast that they would keep, these Jews would keep until Jesus came. But it was a constant reminder of their bondage and the blood that set them free. And what is it for us today, as I've said many times already today? Our bondage was sin. Our freedom was the blood of Jesus Christ. And today, as we leave here in just a second, and we go over and we begin to sing from a song leader who cannot sing to a family that can sing, remember when we worship, we're worshiping a risen Savior who loved us, who died for us. And together, let's worship. Don't, don't look around and say, do they hear me sing? Just sing from a heart of praise because when we lose that heart of praise, that heart of thanksgiving, and we forget what Jesus did for us, like Israel's going to forget about this moment here from time to time, our hearts begin to drift. Even sitting in church, your hearts can begin to drift. And so today when we leave here, Let's sing from a heart of praise because we, Christ, as I want to finish with this verse that Paul said again in 1 Corinthians 7, he says, For indeed Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed. And not only was he sacrificed, but he rose again victorious over sin and death. Let's pray.